It's Tuesday the 7th of January. I'm Jackie Oatley and this is The Athletic Transfer Daily. to Friday until the end of January we'll bring you insight from the Athletics network of expert writers. We've plenty of transfer news nuggets on the way but first let's crack straight on. We're the latest from Manchester City and their reporter Sam Lee. Hi Sam. Hello. So what is City's plan this month? Well I'm pretty sure they were trying, they were looking to bring in a new centre-back but the usual problems of finding somebody good enough and available enough in January were exacerbated by the fact that if they wanted to sign a foreign player at least they would have needed to get rid of a foreign player and there's only a handful that could really go maybe Otamendi but nobody was going to buy him last summer Uh, maybe Sane but I think Bayern Munich are willing to get him in the summer that's coming Um, they wouldn't get rid of Claudio Bravo I mean Cancelo there's rumours about that but then they'd be short at right back so Basically, yeah, I think they did want to get a centre-back in, but they haven't been able to, and they're basically focusing on the summer now. Well, question from John Ashley to hashtag Transfer Daily. Are City as desperate as they were for a new centre-back now that Eric Garcia and Taylor Harwood-Bellis have integrated into the first-team squad? Does that make a difference? It might make a difference to John Stones, maybe. Um, As far as I know, City is still planning to get two centre-backs in in the summer, uh, presumably that will be, well, yeah, there's a decent chance of Nicolas Otamendi moving on. Um, and then that will be Laporte, two new centre-backs, and then potentially John Stones. But then if Eric Garcia were to have a particularly good end of the season, and if Stones were to carry on having a disrupted season, um, you know, either not playing well or not being able to play through injury, maybe he would be seen as somebody who they could recoup a decent amount of money for and I think they're going to be quite ruthless. So maybe if Garcia carries on, maybe they might think, OK, we could maybe do without John Stones because I think Guardiola has been quite frustrated with him over the last couple of years. This season, well, was supposed to and is um, a big one for him. But as we've seen, he's not been able to nail down that space in the squad. So I'm wondering if Eric Garcia's prominence might make more of an impact on Stones, but I'm I'm still pretty sure they're going to look to get two centre-backs in. Whether they do or not, who knows, but I think that will be the plan for the next six months. Yeah, Garcia and 18-year-old Spaniard. Spurs midfielder Harry Winks has been linked with both Manchester clubs, which is always fun, isn't it? Are City keen on him, do you think? To be honest, I don't know. Um, Obviously, this was David Ornstein's story in his uh, Monday column. Uh, He would have spoken about it in his podcast as well. I'm not sure. I'm not sure... um, I, I think City are looking for at least five next summer. And like I say, that'll be two centre-backs. I think a left-back. I'm, I'm thinking they'll be forwards. Maybe a winger to replace Sane if he does go, and quite possibly a number nine. Um, whether that's to replace Gabriel Jesus or not kind of depends on how well Jesus finishes the season. Obviously, Aguero may well go at the end of next season, so, you know, 18 months away. Um so I'm not really sure where a central midfielder fits in, but obviously the logic is there because David Silva's leaving. Fernandinho may leave, but regardless, you know he's being used as a centre-back now, and I suppose his role next season depends on whether City can get in those new centre-backs in the summer, or maybe you know maybe he will just find it the right time is now to, to leave. So there is a bit of sense in buying a midfielder, but, but Winks, you know, they've got Rodri who's settling in, they've got Gundogan 
for that position. And, you know, Gundogan recently signed a new contract. He's a player that Guardiola really likes. Um, I think they'll be looking a bit further up the pitch, left-footed to replace David Silva. I mean, it, it's very possible that they're looking at him. Um, I, I think they've got other priorities, though, and given they want at least five players, they will look at those priority areas first. Yeah, and part of Wink's problem at Tottenham is the fact that he's not starting as many games as he'd like or being deployed in the position that he'd particularly like to be. So uh, we shall wait and see what happens to that one with interest. Trevor Slattery asked, does Sam think that City will ever buy a Galactico-type player again, i.e. super expensive, ready-made, ready to go? Huh. Well, you know what? A couple of years ago, or you know, over the last couple of summer windows, I thought, you know, as they were going along, obviously in 2017 they brought in those five players and it went really well, even though they actually wanted nine. They got away with a five and, you know, won the 100-point season after that. And then the summer after that, they just bought Mares, and the summer just gone, added Rodri and Cancelo. And I was always thinking, look, if they get this squad building right and they just get the right players here and there, in a couple of summers' time, if they've got 200 million to spend, they could focus it on one player, for example, Mbappe. But as I've just said, and I think as people have seen for themselves this season, you know, they're actually looking to do another little mini rebuild or squad refresh, whatever you want to call it. So if they have got 200 million or, you know, if they boost that by selling the likes of Stones or Jesus and Otamendi, whoever, they're actually going to need to spend that on several players and not just one. So, yeah, my theory about them potentially breaking the bank for somebody like Mbappe has gone out the window because, yeah, they need to spread that money around. Maybe if they get it right, they could do it in a couple of years and we don't really know what the next decade of the Abu Dhabi ownership is going to look like. But for now... Yeah, I think they're going to stick to that kind of 50, 60, maybe even 70 million bracket. In a moment, Sam, we'll get you to fill us in on how it works behind the scenes at City when it comes to transfers. But first, let's hear from some of our correspondents around the country. Hi, Chris Woff here. My understanding on the latest transfer situation at Newcastle is that they're looking for a striker, preferably on loan, a short-term fix to their goal-scoring problem. Olivier Giroud is someone they're interested in, Michi Bashuayi, various strikers around Europe. Glenn Murray has even been floated as a name. Newcastle wants someone on loan, and you can read all about that in my latest article for The Athletic. Liam Toomey here. Uh, I think the main takeaway from Chelsea's financial results is that I wouldn't expect it to be too restrictive on what they can do in January. The £100 million loss certainly isn't pretty, but I think um, what it highlights more is the fact that Chelsea really need to finish in the top four this season because any any more time spent outside the Champions League puts a real squeeze on the club's finances. So there's more pressure on Lampard. That could actually translate to, to Chelsea being a little bit more aggressive in January, but they are determined one way or another to focus on quality rather than quantity. They won't go back to the days of signing Zappa Costas and Drinkwaters just to flesh out the squad. Lampard wants players that can improve his starting eleven. A striker remains the top priority and if they can get something done there they, they will certainly look to do so. On the other hand I think the, the financial results also highlight that Chelsea will be looking to trim what has become quite a bloated wage bill um, when they get an opportunity to. We've already seen Danny Drinkwater go back on loan out to Aston Villa and if there are opportunities to get other bigger earners that aren't playing so much, Olivier Giroud being a prime example, then then that's something I think Chelsea will look to do as well. 
Liam Toomey at Chelsea on Antonio Conte's payoff. £26.6 million they've spent, including staff and, and massive legal bill as well. Paul has tweeted a question to us, hashtag transfer daily. Are Norwich still interested in signing David Turnbull from Motherwell? Not a name on everybody's lips, but they've certainly been in for him before. And Norwich correspondent Michael Bailey's response is, no, Norwich felt messed about by how things were handled last summer when they're in advanced talks to sign him, so they won't be returning this month. Michael also says, Adam Eder's hat-trick on Saturday's lessened the need for attacking reinforcements. And you can hear more uh, from Michael on the Athletics On The Ball podcast for more. It is apparently Adam Eder rather than Ida. Nice that he's cleared that up for us. Nancy Frostick at Sheffield Wednesday. There's the Eddie Nketiah link, Arsenal player, who uh, had his loan cut short at Leeds, wasn't getting the starts he needed. Manager Gary Monk has said they're looking in the loan market at Wednesday, particularly for a striker or for a forward this month. Uh, back to Sam, Man City correspondent at The Athletic. I really enjoyed your piece on Carlos Tevez and the fallout over that fabulous banner, Welcome to Manchester, yeah. their marketing campaign. You said it cost... £30,000, but had a really great reach in terms of what they got back from it. How would you describe the relationship now between the respective hierarchies of the two clubs? Well, that's a, that's a good question, actually. I suppose compared to how City and Liverpool get on or don't get on, uh, it's, you know, pretty uh, pretty quiet, pretty pretty normal, mutual, professional, whatever you want to call it. Because, yeah, I mean, between City and Liverpool, it's, it's really not great. Um, but City and United... I, th- I think it's all right. I think it's okay. Um, I, th- I think part of that is obviously compared to ten years ago with the whole Tevez banner, there was a real, you know, there was a real changing of the tide. Uh, but that's that's kind of happened now. That that tide has changed, and now it's you know City who are you know, the top dogs and in terms of on the pitch, well, and off it as well. I don't think you could you could dispute that really. So you know, there's not been too many you know off the pitch battles. You know, the managers haven't really come into contact with each other. Even you know when it was Guardiola and Mourinho, they never really re- reignited that battle they had in Spain. Because in the first season, you know, City and United weren't really challenging, and then in the second, you know, City took off and you know won it by about 18, 20 points. So there was that big gap, and Mourinho never really recovered. And Solskjaer coming in has had a different job on. And then at board level, yeah, United were willing to pay the money for Harry Maguire and they got him. But I don't think that was an acrimonious thing between City and United. It just happened. So, yeah, I think at board level, it's it's a lot calmer than it was 10 years ago. Yeah, things have certainly changed, haven't they? Very much in City's favour. But we'll talk about how it works behind the scenes, transfer-wise, at City. Pep Guardiola, obviously the manager, Chief Executive Ferran Soriano, and Director of Football, Chiki Bagiristan. How does it work in terms of if they want to bring a player in and go out? What is the relationship like between those three? Oh, well, the relationship's fantastic. Uh, you know, there's, there's sometimes there's a few grumbles between Guardiola and um, Soriano because fundamentally Soriano's in charge of the purse strings and, you know, I think like this summer, we mentioned Maguire, the summer just gone. I think City were trying to play ball a bit while under investigation. Obviously, they still are officially by UEFA for the financial fair play um, allegations. So they didn't want to be seen to go and spend 85 million on a centre-back then and kind of tweak UEFA's nose while they were looking into their business. But I don't think Guardiola's too bothered by that. He wants a new centre-back. You know, he, he identified that need. So did Cheeky Bagiristan. Um but in the end of the day, you know, they, they wouldn't go to that valuation. You know, sometimes they have those little complaints between them about, you know, they should be spending more, they should be spending less or whatever. But I think that's pretty normal. The, the the relationship between them is fantastic. Obviously, that goes back to Barcelona. And there's obviously an army of staff. And I could I could maybe go into the idea of how they 
kind of identify players and then decide to go after them. But once they do, it's, you know, Bagiristan uses his contacts. He'll go out and see the players specifically. He'll meet with the players. He kind of does all of that um, on top of the army of scouts they have got. And then, yeah, like I say, Soriano and Bagiristan and Pep will kind of decide on the value they're of, of these players and you know if they get the word back from the club or the player that they're going to be too expensive in the first place they won't bother but if they get the word back that there may be a bit of negotiating to be done they, they'll get to that but obviously City stick to their guns quite often when it comes to their perceived value of players or the wages that they might earn so that's where yeah that's where sometimes there's a bit of conflict but yeah no, nothing, nothing certainly nothing major you know nothing that would make a newspaper in terms of behind the scenes rows it's all very cordial they do get on well and what about Liverpool's dominance in the Premier League this season? How's that affecting what they're doing at City, if at all? It's obviously, it could easily be seen as like a reaction. So if City were to go and buy five players in the summer or six and, you know, maybe get rid of a couple and have a completely new look squad or, you know, pretty, pretty new look squad by the start of next season, it would be easy to say, you know, that's in response to to Liverpool winning the league. But, I mean, that that's probably fair, fair enough to say. But at the same time, you know, it, it's in response to City's own standards dropping. It's not a city problem, you know. Top managers, if they want to keep their teams at the top, things need to change. You know, if the manager stays in place, then the players need to be freshened up. You know, they need to make sure they're still listening, they're still hungry, they're still motivated. Obviously, Sir Alex Ferguson was a great example of that. There's been good examples recently, I suppose, with Mauricio Pochettino at Tottenham, where he didn't get the kind of changes he wanted, and obviously, it got a bit toxic, and it led to him going midway through the season. So that's normal in football. Um, and yeah, the alternative is changing the manager, as Pochettino found out. But City want to keep Guardiola for as long as possible. Guardiola's happy. Like he's, he's happy in Manchester, obviously, and he's happy at City. I think he knows he's not going to get the support he gets at City anywhere else. But if he gets to the end of the season, he thinks these players really aren't listening to me. He will go. The problems are complex and various. But what they're going to do at the end of the season is just try to keep Guardiola for as long as possible. It's a response to what Guardiola wants as much as, you know, how Liverpool have maybe, I don't know about raised the bar because I think City set the bar and Liverpool are living up to it. Yeah, I would say it's more a response to City's own problems than how good Liverpool have been. Because there has been quite a lot of talk this season, hasn't there, about Guardiola and his future. Do you see any reason why he might want to leave at the end of the season? Now, it's still kind of, not all to play for because you'd imagine they won't win the league, but there's still... You know, the two domestic cups, which, you know, if they were to win both of those, you'd go, OK, well, fair enough. And if obviously, if they were to do well in the Champions League, maybe not necessarily win it, but at least look like they, they might win it in the next couple of years. So we're talking a semi-final, I guess, or maybe a losing final appearance. Then, you know, you could see Guardiola thinking, OK, yeah, there's still plenty to give here and a few more sign-ins. Great. But I don't think this is going to happen. But if they ended up 30 points behind Liverpool and, you know, finishing third or fourth. If they ended up not winning anything and, you know, going out of the Champions League to Real Madrid, you know, the the, the kind of optics at the end of the season would be very different. And Guardiola might think, actually, these guys aren't listening to me. Uh, maybe by then as well, they get an idea of the transfers they can and can't do and maybe they can't get what they want to get. And maybe then he thinks, OK, now is actually the time to leave. Um, but like, like I said, I don't, I don't necessarily think that's going to happen. I think City is set up quite well for the second half of the season. The title may well be gone, but there's still a lot to play for. I do think he will end up staying. But yeah, that is one factor. The other things that get thrown around a lot are the fact that his wife's moved back to Barcelona. Um, you know, the fact that he's looked stressed at times this season and his team aren't playing well. But I think he's finding solutions to his team not playing well. They're playing better at the moment. Like I say, they 
do seem to be listening to him still. They seem to be as confused as everybody else about the problems they've had. But I think they've, I do think they've turned a corner a bit. So yeah, there, there are reasons why you could see him leaving. But if you were to ask me, certainly now as it stands, I, I think he'll stay for at least another season. And we're talking on Tuesday afternoon, Sam, ahead of the EFL Cup semi-final first leg. So people listening to this may well know more than us as to how this transpires. But Man United have threatened to eject anyone clearly supporting City at the home end tonight after they put tickets on general sale. How on earth has this happened? Is this common? Is it is it just more of a problem because it's City they're facing? I think the problem is they limited the allocation to 3,000. Both teams, both teams took the mutual decision to yeah. limit limit the away allocation to 3,000 fans. Um, 10 years ago, when it was a great atmosphere, I was actually at that United game and obviously it was a great atmosphere at the Etihad as well. I think that it was closer to 10,000 because, you know, you can, in, in the Carabao Cup, normally you're entitled to 10% of the of the home team's capacity. So there would be a lot more fans expecting to go. And I, I just think it's kind of been sparked a bit by the expectation that a lot of fans would have been able to go now they haven't been, so I think it's a bit of defiance on the part of both fans. Obviously, if their tickets still available, there's going to be some fans thinking, well, I'm just going to go in the home end, and that'll show them. And also, I think there's a bit of it from the fan point of view. You know, the, the decision to limit those allocations was put down to security issues. I think some fans might be thinking, well, if you're going to limit it based on security issues, but then allow potentially away fans to buy tickets in the home end, you're going to have security issues anyway. So there might there may be a bit of troublemaking going on there as well. So I think that's that's the reason behind it, really. Exactly. And then it's the poor stewards that have to pick up the slack for the, uh, the decision-making on the security, isn't it? Sam Lee, thank you so much. That was the Athletic Transfer Daily. Make sure you subscribe for free to the Ornstein and Chapman podcast feed. They're hosting us on this podcast for the month. There you'll find the new episode every afternoon from Monday to Friday. And for full access to all the articles on The Athletic, you can subscribe for 40% discount by using the promo code UKPOD. Thanks again to Sam. I'm Jackie Oatley. I'll be back next Monday on the Transfer Daily Podcast. Picking up the baton tomorrow is Adam Leventhal. Bye for now. 